as I'm sure you are waiting for what it is the pastor has out of the Word of God today to start this year off, the year that nobody will remember, right? I had an interesting encounter, uh, I think it was back in 2012, I got to go to England the first time, and you see, uh, you see the clock tower, we often refer to that as Big Ben, that's actually not Big Ben, um, any Brit will correct you. And John Johnson, if you're watching right now, I'm, I'm sure you have a smile on your face. But uh, I remember the first time I went over to England and uh, experienced a little bit of this understanding of time and the difference of, of uh, you know, your, your jet lag, your challenges of, of, uh, of, you know, different time zones and calling home, those kinds of things. But I also remember that uh, those, that particular year I was there, there was a prolific uh, moment that had happened uh, going back, dating back multiple decades. Uh, as a matter of fact, over a century. See, when I went to England on my way out, I went through London and had the chance to visit Metro Tabernacle Church. Uh, that, this was the church that Spurgeon preached at. And while the church itself it kind of is this pilgrimage for a lot of pastors, uh, it's, it's interesting because that church that Spurgeon actually preached in doesn't exist. It actually burnt down. Um, and yep, Portions of Metro Tab are, are still there. And so what's even more fascinating is they make it possible for you to go to their gift shop and purchase uh, many souvenirs while you can't actually go into the sanctuary. It's, it's fascinating. So I, I actually took an interesting detour where I probably shouldn't have gone. But uh, I noticed in Baptist churches, I grew up in a Baptist church. Baptist churches are, are notable for this. Uh, they have that board, right? Many of you know the board I'm talking about. It keeps the numbers for the year, right? And uh, it, it tells you how many were in attendance for Sunday school, how many were in attendance in church last year, what year they had the best attendance, all that. They had a board kind of hidden in the back hallway at Metro Tab, and it showed each pastor. And it showed the amount of people under Neath that pastor. This is where we got this insipid problem of measuring an individual's worth based off the congregational size. Uh, what's fascinating is that you could see when Spurgeon was there, you know, I, I think they had six numbers or something ludicrous, right? What was fascinating is the guy who followed Spurgeon and the numbers underneath that person. And yet my question would be, is that person any less valuable in God's eyes? Was that individual's ministry any less purposeful according to God's economy and according to what he had marked out and called that individual to than Spurgeon? Now, we evaluate it differently because we love numbers. And so we're in this situation where we're hoping numbers decrease radically uh, for good reason, um, 
in consideration to this pandemic. We're hoping that economic numbers don't decrease. We're hoping, we're, we're fascinating with numbers. And so this morning, coming out of Christmas and going into the new year, I thought, what a better time do I have to give you a gift from God? And I use those words specifically, to give you a gift from God. Today's sermon is titled, What Time Is It? And I encourage you, don't worry about, you know, the actual time. I have 11.15 right now, and I should be preaching till about 1.30. Um, you all love that, because you can just hit pause, and you can go get a snack. But the people in the room, the four people in the room nearly passed out when I said that. Uh, finish this statement in your own mind. It's time to, right? And so we do this, some of us do this, some of us rail against it dramatically, but we do this at the beginning of each year. It's time to do this or do that. My, uh, some of my social media is blowing up right now, not mine, but on my social media uh, about, you know, diets, Noom, keto, this, that, you know, the, the panda diet, that's the one I'm on. I'm on the Panda diet, and I'm succeeding. I've already gained two pounds this year. Uh, I'm doing very, very well, right? So I'm reaching my goals. So when we look at this, this concept of what time is it, that can mean a lot of different things. Let me narrow the focus for you this morning to the idea of setting goals, right? So many of us, again, we hate this idea of New Year's resolutions. Yeah, I don't like them either because usually we don't accomplish them. But it is really, really good to go back and see how did you fare the previous year? What is it that you have accomplished? And fascinatingly enough, we're going to look into the life of Christ and we're going to see there was a moment in time where he did that. I'm not going to say it was January 1st or December 31st, but there was a time and we're going to get into that window of Jesus' life where he had a conversation with the Father and he evaluated his goals. So I think a lot of us can relate more so to goals than necessarily New Year's resolutions. So let me transfer this to, okay, what time is it? Maybe it's a good time for us to sit and evaluate our goals from 2020, if we had some. How did we do? And not only how would we answer that question, but even more so to the believer, how would God evaluate what we did with what he gave us in 2020? And we're going to talk a lot about that in the annual meeting as well. So if I'm going to guide you into answering this question of what time is it, okay, it's time for us maybe to set goals. That's kind of our tradition in our culture. Then let's talk about how do you set goals? You know, Maybe we're in recovery time right now, right? Uh, from all those times I work out, you know, right after you get done working out, you have to have what's called recovery time. My recovery time is in the form of a nap coming off of a buffet. And, and I, I enjoy that. I have to have recovery time. That happens, you know, usually Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. But for many, if you are an athlete and or you just go to the gym and you work out, you know what recovery time is. I went golfing with my son this past week, and uh, 
you know, to golf with him raises the competition level to see who can drive the ball farther. You know, it, it's the David trying to topple the Goliath. Um, for whatever reason, I choose to remember how good that day was. Uh, I don't know if the sun was shining on me particularly well, but um, I was swinging for the fences for the most part and uh, was having a pretty good day. But the next day and then the next day was not so good. I was in continual pain because I hadn't golfed or done anything like that kind of exercise for probably two months. And so my core, my arms, my shoulders, uh, my pinky toes, the inside of my eyeballs, everything was sore and was letting me know there's a cost to working out. There's a cost to pursuing your goals. It doesn't come easy. So I had to have some recovery time. In our society right now, or our culture right now, recovery time may have to do with you know, the things that, that are being uh, bandied around right now. Stimulus checks, right? Many of us are waiting for our stimulus checks. Uh, maybe it's about getting our kids back to school. You know, we need to recover that element of, of life for them. Maybe it's jobs. Maybe we have lost our job and we're looking for something new this year. And, and so we need to recover that. Maybe it's recovering relationships that have been lost or fragmented or torn apart o- over this past year. And maybe churches need to have some recovery time as well. And so our staff here is going to be talking about this. Our elders are going to be talking about this and praying about it. It's interesting how important time is. As a matter of fact, somebody once told me this, that parsley, sage, and rosemary uh, walked into a very hoity-toity restaurant, and as they were standing there waiting for the hostess to seat them, they said, ah, there's about an hour and a half wait. And uh, shortly after that, all three of them left, and the hostess went running after them and, uh, and, and asked, hey, you know, you're leaving. We're, we're almost ready for you. And uh, she said, why are you guys leaving? And uh, Parsley commented, oh, uh, we forgot the time. I hear you laughing out there. I hear you laughing out there. Uh, So I'm just trying to make sure you're awake. Let's get back to the serious stuff. When setting goals, here's some encouragement to you. These are really taken... Uh, in a plausible fashion from the life of Christ. These are really taken from how God intersects with his kingdom and his will. So number one, when setting goals, if that's what you're going to do this year, and I encourage you to do so, don't forget God. Number one, don't forget God. Number two, make them manageable any business degree will tell you they'll work through this issue of, of uh, the challenges of success within a business. And so uh, they will tell you that you need to make goals manageable for your team uh, so that you can acquire success. Uh, you need to also make them inspirational. There needs to be part of your goal setting or, or your goal strategy that goes beyond what you can do. In other words, something that requires a team around you to work together because that is more inspirational. You're accomplishing more. Straight from the book of Ecclesiastes, which we will be in shortly, 
that a, a, uh, a strand of two is better than one, or two, the return of two is better than one, a strand of three is not easily broken. But even more so than that, inspiration comes from partnering with God in His will and His determination of what it is that He is seeking to accomplish for the sake of His kingdom. So when we participate in goal setting with the Lord, often He requires something greater than we can accomplish. And that's when we see Him shine. And that's when those goals are inspirational. Make some of your goals short-term goals. Make some of them long-term. Make them for a benefit. All right? Make them for a benefit for others and for yourself. Many uh, New Year's resolutions are focused on ourselves, right? The, the number one New Year's resolution usually is losing weight. Uh, I would encourage you this year when you set these goals, think of who do they benefit. It is completely, completely justified biblically that you set goals for yourself that speak to your own condition. But they should always be within the context of what God is calling you to do. If I set a goal to do an, an aspect of ministry that God has not called me to, I will not succeed in that goal. I may accomplish some things, but it will keep me from succeeding at the things that God has called me to, and I will stumble and have minimal return and minimal success in my goal. Jesus talks about this in, in, in various terms throughout his ministry. What does this have to do with me? I am not going to move in that direction because it's not time yet. Or I cannot do this because it is not my Father's will that I should. Jesus' goals varied to a large degree, not for Himself, but for others. Whether it was healing individuals, whether it was speaking the kingdom message, or whether it was fulfilling the will of His Father. His ultimate goal, though, was from the incarnation until the ascension, was the redemption of mankind and to sacrifice himself to have victory over sin and death. He accomplished that goal. So I encourage you, make them for a benefit for others as well as yourself. Make them kingdom-minded. When we start to shape our goals around uh, what God does for His kingdom, we don't have to put a lot of doubt or second thought into the value of those goals and all the work and all the effort. And this fits in and it pairs with the evaluation of the previous year. What did I accomplish this previous year? And if I can look and, and, and examine and, and dissect a little bit I certainly hope that what I have done has had impact, not just on the world around me, not just in my case, 
but more so in the kingdom itself. To have an impact that, that when I am before the throne of God, that I will see the results of my work through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit here on earth. Make them kingdom-minded so that when we stand before the Lord, He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Lastly, and not that this is a comprehensive list, I'm going to give you more than enough to help shape your goals, but the last one that I have today is make them in consideration to the time that you are in. Make them in consideration to the time that you're in. I think of just a very simple example of this. It makes no sense for our student ministries team to continue to plan winter camps and summer camps. Right? That, that, that if, if I, my leadership group in student ministries or our next-gen ministries, that they set their goal up to have this incredible winter camp experience where uh, uh, kids come right in their relationship with God, they're inspired, their lives are transformed. That doesn't make a lot of sense in consideration to the time that we're in right now. So we as a church, as we start to set our goals for this upcoming year, we have to be able to adjust and think about where are we right now, the uncertainty of the future, and when will we get back to normal? And based off of, for instance, what have we learned from this past year that we should adjust our goals because of the difficulty, because the church has been stripped back. This affords us a unique time to reassess the success of our goals. Let me take you where I promised. John 17. Turn to John 17, if you will. And we're going to get a window into the fact that Jesus set some goals. And we're going to look at this real briefly. And I'm going to break it down a little bit. So, if I can, let me set the, the groundwork here. Jesus uh, is praying. It is the high priestly prayer. This is uh, hours before he was crucified and his trial. This is somewhere in between the time of the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, I'm just going to share with you that as I read this, I want you to think about what would have been a goal during Jesus's three years of ministry here on earth. You've already heard one. He continues on as he speaks to the Father, and he says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Wow. Can you imagine being able to say that? I accomplished, Father God, the calling and the work that you gave me to do. Now, Jesus is probably the only one that gets to say that, right? 
for us, we need to hear it from him, well done, good and faithful servant. He gets to declare whether or not we've accomplished what he called us to do and how we use the time that he has given us and afforded to us. But Jesus himself says, I've accomplished those goals. He says, and this is eternal life that you and the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, relative to time, right? What time is it? And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words, bring me home. I'm going to accomplish, I'm going to finish the work, the goals that you have set for me in your economy, in your kingdom. And when you bring me back, glorify me to my full state with you. He doesn't ask for it ahead of time. He never asked for it when he was in Nazareth. He never asked for it as he was traveling throughout Palestine or the Decapolis, or Jerusalem, or Bethlehem. He never asked to be glorified in those times. He waited until the right time when he had accomplished the will of the Father, and then he says, and then glorify me. Brothers and sisters, the same stands true for us. Our time is not to be glorified right now. Our time is to accomplish the will of the Father, just like Jesus. We need to work to such a level in, in partnership with God according to His calling in our life that we may be able to say these same exact words, I have accomplished it. And then there will be that time where we are glorified for eternity if we know Him. If we know Him. He says later in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people. Ding. Whom you gave me out of the world, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Ding. Ding is a hint. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. There's some motivation for a goal as a teacher, right? Or as a pastor. I most definitely don't want individuals coming to me for financial investment advice. Because if people start asking that, first of all, I will decimate your portfolio. But second of all, it's a statement ultimately that I am not the person that you are coming to for spiritual advice. And I should be. Brothers and sisters, if you name Jesus as Lord, you should be a person individuals come to for spiritual advice. If we are accomplishing the goals that he has called us to. You can finish out John 17 at a later time, but I'm going to uh, give you a synopsis here real quickly. Some of the goals that are listed here, again, not a comprehensive list, but just to give us a taste of, of the value and the practice and the discipline of evaluating what time is it right now? Well, maybe it's a time for evaluating what I've been called to and have I been accomplishing my goals or maybe it's time for me to adjust those goals maybe it's time for me to set those goals 
and move forward. So Jesus came to earth and He had goals in mind. Number one was to glorify the Father. He accomplished it. Done. Secondly, recruit the disciples and keep them from falling away. You can see that later in this this prayer between Him and the Father. Done. Accomplished. It was to speak the Word and make the Father manifest. Done. Accomplished. It was to provide eternal life for mankind. Done. Accomplished. Jesus' time had come. John 17 is kind of the perfect passage for us to see how Jesus used goals in the will of the Father and His calling to accomplish and be successful with building the kingdom, which is a worthwhile goal. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes. Because if we're going to lead with this question of what time is it, we have to go to the time scripture in all of the Bible, right? And maybe some of you have been humming this, this song since I started. Before I say this, let me just share with you this last concluding thought from the idea of Jesus' goals. This church will be setting their goals according to Christ. Not the culture, not convenience, not according to what we can afford, not according to necessarily what we're resourced for. We will be setting our goals this year to what we are called to. And I'm so proud of what our church has done in 2020 because we have been a vibrant church. We may not have been able to be together like we wish, But in spite of that, we have been a vibrant representation of God's light on this earth during a dark time. And I know that our little blip on the map in heaven of all the churches is shining bright. And the Lord notices Concord Bible Church. But let's get back to this idea of what time is it. So Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 13. And when I finish with this, I'm going to give you a gift, a gift from God and, and, and kind of the capstone on the Christmas season. You're going to receive this incredible gift and it should help shape your goals in 2021. The writer, supposedly Solomon, says this, for everything, there is a season, even a pandemic and a time for every matter under heaven, even relief from a pandemic. And it says this, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, and believe it or not, a time to hate. 
a time for war and a time for peace. Now there's a lot in there. There's an immense amount of wisdom. Really where you have to start is that this is poetic and it is the matching of the juxtaposition, right? So if, if the writer's intent is for us to not escape the magnitude of all things under God's economy, he's done an excellent job. Because with every lead, for instance, a time to, born, to be born and a time to die, it covers everything for us, right? But it's not just that there's a time to be born. There is a finality to this life on earth. Now that should shape everything we do in the in-between. So what has it been time for this past year? I would say it's a time for adjustment. It's a time, or it has been a time in many ways, that has forced us to strip back the normalcy of our life. I think we can all agree to that. I think it's also been a time that we have recalibrated what is important. I think it's been a time maybe where you have individuals that have shown themselves to be compassionate and brave and courageous in the midst of this pandemic. You have seen individuals that have become depressed, sorrowful, and fearful. And somewhere in between all of that, we want to hold the court of public opinion that measures whether either of those or all of those are appropriate at this time. The writer is saying there is a time for everything under heaven. Isn't that an interesting concept? Because in our culture, in my world today, it seems like I have to choose. I have to choose Republican or Democrat. I have to choose uh, social programs or bootstraps. Pick yourself up and do it yourself. I have to choose one child over the... No, I don't have to choose one child over the other. But you see what I'm saying, right? Is that we are constantly fed this pressure and this litany that you have to decide one, one way or the other. Can I encourage you that God has said there's a time for everything and maybe this past year has been a time for us to get a little rattled. For us to step into areas that we're not used to. For us to break out of bad habits. Maybe 2021, a goal of ours should be less screen time because we have had to be locked onto that thing for most of 2020. There is a time for everything. But the writer goes on to say this, what gain has the worker from his toil? Great question. Great way to evaluate my goals from 2020, right? Or my life goals. Or maybe some of us have created that bucket list. What value was there? I want to know that there's, there's a point to my life. There's this beautiful scene that, that motivates me to remember Scripture 
such as, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's from the movie Saving Private Ryan. And at the bridge towards the end of the battles and and almost this entire group of men have given their lives to save this one private. And finally, Sergeant Miller, Tom Hanks' character, is shot just as the Allies are overtaking the town. And Matt Damon bends down Private Ryan and he's listening to the last words of his sergeant. And the last words were, make this count. And I'll never forget that because the writer of the movie or the screenplay does an immense job of selling that point. And you fast forward to a graveside scene with a family and it's Private Ryan in his 80s or 90s and he's at Sergeant Miller's tombstone. And he's weeping. And the family gathers around him, not knowing why he's weeping. It's because those words have haunted and driven his his time, his goals, his life, knowing that men gave their life for him. And he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I'm a good man. That we would be able to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. We should have that same level of consternation from that scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan. We should have that same drive because not fictional Sergeant Miller, but Jesus Christ himself gave the parable of the talents. And there is an expectation on me. There's an expectation on every believer to use our time to fulfill his calling in our life so that we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, let me give you that gift I promised in closing. Keep reading and it says, what gain has the worker from his toil? It is to know, we've answered that, right? It is to know that God is pleased with our efforts in our calling from him. He says, I have seen the business of God. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. Here's confirmation that we should be busy. So those of you that have enjoyed being couch potatoes, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, get off the couch and get busy because that's God's expectation. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So many of us feel horrible about ourselves because whether it's what we accomplish or the respect or, or the honor or <clears throat> how we perceive ourselves, we do not see ourselves as beautiful. But just like the caterpillar morphing into the magnificent butterfly. Here is this promise from God that he will make everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. What does that mean? I think it means this. 
that even though many people want to deny the afterlife, we make movie after movie, we write story after story, and even those who are agnostic or atheistic, many on their deathbed, become those that hope this wasn't it. This is what it means that God has put eternity into man's heart. We are eternal beings. And what we do here, this is a great line, what we do here echoes throughout eternity. The choice that you and I make, and I'm going to give you a series of them in closing, the choice that you and I make has everything to do with what we do with our time, but it echoes in eternity. And most people, when they really contemplate and when they really think through, there is a sense of knowing there's something larger going on. I think that's what this means, that God has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So he says, look, I'm going to give you a taste, but you're not going to know everything about God right now. Because that requires faith. I perceive that there is nothing better. Oh, wow. Okay, stop. Hang on a second. So Solomon, if this is in fact Solomon, in all of his wisdom, says a prolific statement. If I'm setting goals this year, I want to pay attention, right? I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Really? This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes has summed up all that we do, all of life to be that I need to <clears throat> be joyful and that I need to take pleasure in my work. That's a big, tall task. But God wouldn't give us that and Solomon wouldn't proclaim it if it didn't have value. So maybe that should be part of our goal for 2021. How do I take pleasure in my toil? We've got the eating and drinking part down. That we can take pleasure in. And, and Solomon gives an affirmation in that. But here it comes. He gives this list of things that there's nothing better for us than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So transfer that idea of to do good that fits within the calling of God. Because these other areas certainly seem like they're self-serving, don't they? But here is this statement, to do good as long as I live. This is an encapsulating idea of fulfilling what it is that God has called me to do. What time is it? It's time for you and I to figure out what is it God has called us to. Because we may not have tomorrow. And we may find ourselves before the Lord sooner than later, and He will ask, why? Why should I let you into my kingdom? And we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. All of this 
that Solomon writes, he says this at the end, this is God's gift to man. Joy is a gift from God to man. Have you ever thought about it that way? It's about time you did. Doing good as long as you can live. Have you ever thought about that as a gift from God? Maybe it's about time that you did. Eating and drinking and taking pleasure in all of my toil. Maybe it's about time I see that that is something God has given as a gift. In conclusion, I'm just going to give some application today. Set aside time to set goals for 2021. Make an effort to do it so that you can take joy in what you have done over the year this time next year. Or take time to evaluate your goals from 2020 and see how God has used you and take joy in that. And if you can't pinpoint something, then do something about it. It's time to enjoy what is around me according to Ecclesiastes and according to God's economy. Enjoy the things around you. Have you ever been around a person that no matter how great things are, they're just going to be Ebenezer Scrooge? They're going to be the Grinch. They're going to, it's past Christmas. I need to find new, new ideas here, right? New caricatures. Nobody wants to be around that person. Maybe it's time to serve others. Maybe it's time to forgive someone who has hurt you deeply. Maybe for some of us who have had tremendous loss this year, it is appropriate. Remember the words in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. Maybe it's time to mourn. Maybe for some of us, we have seen God work tremendously or even through the suffering of this past year, we have the ability to rejoice and exalt one of our, our key values here at Concord Bible Church. That we can rejoice because we've lost that ability. And yet we see from the writer of Ecclesiastes, it is a gift from God. Maybe it's time for us to serve Jesus. You see, when I am serving Christ, when I am acquiescing to my calling, right? Then I am in a constant state of forgiving or understanding I've been forgiven. Maybe because of my service to Jesus, I'm serving others. Maybe it causes me to rejoice. It is amazing when I give all my, my assiduity to serving Jesus, then there is this sense where I I learn how to rejoice in my morning. I learn how to rejoice in the midst of a pandemic. I learn how to rejoice no matter what time it is. Maybe it's time to fulfill the calling that is on my life. There's a great passage in 1 Peter on this. I encourage you to read it. Is it time to come back to services? The elders are wrestling with this right now. There's a lot going on within our state. But our, our attitude has always been more so about taking care of our flock and knowing that your leadership cares about you in the midst of this pandemic to do what we can to equip you, to feed you, to care for you without putting you at great risk. We also do want to obey uh, the government and, and what the government has called for. But maybe it's time for us to come back together. Pray for your elders as we are looking at that and examining that. Maybe it's time to get involved again. Many of us have had that stripped away. 
and we're just feeling a little disillusioned. I encourage you, fulfill your calling. Maybe it's time to leave the church and decide that you reject all that Jesus asks of us. It would be foolish for me to think that there might be somebody or there isn't anybody tuning in today that isn't thinking this. That you've had it. Things are so bad that even if Jesus is real, if this is how he chooses to run things, you don't want to have any part of it. Maybe somebody in the church, maybe I have offended you. Maybe uh, you disapprove of a direction that the church is heading or the church in general is heading. And so you're done. I encourage you. There's only one that believes that it's time for you if you are part of the church. There's only one that believes it's time for you to leave the church. And he convinced a certain woman to eat a certain fruit a long time ago. Is it time for us to be united? Or is it time for us to divide over preference? Is it time for us to support our leadership? Whether here in the United States, whether locally, whether in our state, our church, our homes. Is it time to repent and make Jesus first in your life again? I think based off of the pattern of mankind, it's always time to do that. Maybe for some of us, it's time to meet Jesus for the first time ever. Can I just encourage you? Scripture's clear. If that time is now and you are compelled to seek or you're wondering about Christ, do not let that moment in time slip by without making every effort. Eternity is at stake. And so if you truly want to know what the real Jesus is like, not the one that society talks about, not the one that false churches talk about, but who Jesus says he is, I encourage you, reach out. Reach out to someone who knows him and the evidence of him is in their life or reach out uh, to our church leadership. We will be glad to, to talk through that, but seek after him. In closing today, I guess my ultimate question is, how will you keep your time this year? How will you keep your time? This is a little unknown fact. During the studio session for the White Album, Paul gave Ringo his personal watch from his grandfather. Ringo was so touched and shocked uh, at, at the same time, and he began to reminisce about all that he and Paul had been through and the magnitude of what they were about to do in that moment in time. And with tears welling up in his eyes, he reached out and he embraced Paul and hugged him closely for this inexpressible gift and all that it meant. When he let go of Paul, <clears throat> he was puzzled by the eye roll he received from his friend and bandmate. As the story goes, Paul leaned in and said, I'm just loaning it to you so you can keep better time. 
That's a little unknown fact because it's not true. I just made up that whole story. But I did so to help you understand time is not frivolous. Time matters. And how you keep time will matter in eternity. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, we come to you with great expectation and desire to know that we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that as we move forward in our days, moment by moment, what we regard as time, that we are prudent with it, that we value it, that we do not let time slip away, and that as we look back over 2020, we can see how we have partnered with you and how we have used our time has been to your glory with the example of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to set goals primarily to be in fresh and true relationship with you and to take the time to peel back all the things that are unnecessary or cloud our relationship. But secondly, Father, to set goals in parallel with your calling. Father, I pray for each person that's viewing today and whoever will view this later on, that as they consider what it is that you have for them, that we have been given gifts from you. And the writer of Ecclesiastes mentioned some of them. There is no greater gift than the gift of salvation. Let that drive our thinking. Let that drive our motivation. Let that drive our goals in 2021. We thank you and we praise you, Father, for all these things. Amen.